podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Inside cricket, looking back at the fourth day's play of the Test match, uh, England West Indies in Southampton. A lovely day's play, beautiful weather, no interruptions. A long day actually for the West Indies bowlers. Uh, they're looking a little bit tired towards the end of it, but they did a pretty good job. Uh, Simon Mann's having a day off uh, just to put his feet up and uh, consider the world. And um, so I'm delighted to, to be rejoined by Faz Mohammed. Uh, this evening, the uh, expert on West Indian cricket and definitive commentator. Sorry, sorry, you're not here actually, Faz, to, to commentate on this series because I think you really do add some vibrancy to the commentary generally. But of course, it's uh, unusual circumstances uh, denying you being able to come over here. Um, what have you made of today's play generally? Interesting display, Simon, and uh, thanks again for the, for the kind words uh, about not, not being there. But uh, it is what it is, as you said, because of the situation. And I think you're seeing almost, and, and I know it sounds like a cliche, your typical test cricket day where there are ebbs and flows. Uh, you've got periods where the bat dominates without really getting on top. And then at the end of it all, coming towards the end at least, Perseverance pays off for the West Indies with three wickets with the second new ball and therefore as you would like in a proper test match even with the uh, intervention of the rain and the bad light on the first day you've got all the options open going into the last day. Yeah so the lead uh, for England you know getting on for 200 but not uh, really the kind of lead I think that where the, the England bowls will be absolutely secured in knowing they're going to win. I mean, there are some games where you get to the fifth day in a test match, especially in some places like India or even the West Indies, where the pitch is really playing tricks. But this one looks pretty flat. And of course, it is only really the fourth day as well, because we lost uh, pretty much a whole day to the rain. So it's looking pretty flat. So I think uh, West Indies, if they're chasing around 200, do you reckon they'd be quite confident of that? They'll believe they've got a chance. And and I think if you really started this test match, remember we had our discussion almost a week ago and we were thinking about the West Indies struggling with the bat and really having a hard time of it. I think if you were to, to tell the West Indies, well, at the end of day four in the first test match, you'll probably be looking at maybe 180, 190 to win or maybe 200. I think they'd all take that without any questions asked. And yes, it is going to be difficult, not just for this, the sake of the condition, Simon, because as you would have played the game at the very highest level would know that it's also the pressure, it's also the expectation, it's also the, 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 the fact that you're coming into a situation knowing that you're so close to a victory or, or, or whatever the circumstance might be. That in itself adds some additional elements beyond whatever the conditions might be. This has been a, an interesting test, actually, hasn't it? Because I suppose, really, that both teams, England's batting order, very inexperienced, the West Indies, slightly unknown quantity, with one or two players having not really performed as well over the last couple of years as they did previously. A uh, couple of new young bowlers like uh, Azari Joseph as well. Um, so no kind of real sort of star names in the West Indies side, actually, in, in a way, although I know Jason Holder is number one uh, all-rounder in the world. But you wouldn't say there's anybody out there who's going to be the, the, the next greatest West Indian cricketer of all time or anything, but they've actually played superbly well as a team. 
Yeah, they fought really well. And th that has been one of the elements of this team over the last couple of years. Yes, they have still got a long, long way to go. When you saw them in the two test matches against India in the Caribbean last September uh, in Antigua and Jamaica, well, you really wondered wh wh when are the West Indies going to ever be competitive again in test cricket because they were thoroughly outplayed and by Indian fast bowlers to boot at Sabina Park. But here you've got a situation where they, they're really fighting, they're really sticking to it. And as we talk about star players and the absence of star players, the one personality we talked at length about going into this test match, Kimar Roach, 193 uh, test wickets. Well, with 16 England wickets having fallen to the time that we're speaking, he has yet to take a wicket. Uh, so again, it shows that the other players are stepping up. Yes, Jason Holder has responded again. Shannon Gabriel with four wickets in the first innings, uh, one in the second so far and playing his part. So uh, it, it's a situation where, once again, the West Indies, in the absence of those what you would call star names, are getting these important contributions along the way to stay in the contest. How's it being uh, received back home? Uh, is there a lot of interest in Trinidad of, of, of this series, of this particular match? There is interest, but there's interest primarily among diehard fans because the time has long since gone, Simon, when you would have that generic obsession, if that sounds like a correct term, a generic obsession with West Indies cricket, where even those who didn't even have a casual interest would just be mindful of the score, would be sitting in a taxi listening to the radio commentary. Where I am in, radio, in, in Trinidad and Tobago, there's no radio commentary. There's no BBC Test Match special to listen to because, as we are told, there's no commercial demand to put it on air. So we have to make do with watching it on television, which is obviously the first option. But if you're a community on the move, and as we are on the move now with the relaxation of the COVID-19 regulations, very few people who aren't exactly diehards of the game would actually be following it. And from what I understand, in some of our other Caribbean territories as well, there's also no commentary. And so that's a similar situation. So it does reflect the state of the Caribbean at a time when the team has been down for such a long period and it's difficult to automatically drum up that instant interest even if you're playing England. I was at a, a party the other day, uh, socially distancing of course, uh, and I was talking to this German guy who was taking an interest in cricket and he said, is the West Indies uh, a, an entity in anything other than cricket? Is that, I, and I couldn't actually answer that question. Well, we used to be an entity in a, a few sports. Uh, I think rugby at one time, there used to be a West Indies rugby team. Of course, famously, when we were a federation, there was once an attempt to create a West Indies federation, 1958 to 1962. We participated at the 1960 Olympics in Rome as one entity. But that apart, generally, for almost every other major sport in the world, we compete as individual territories, hence you have that extra level of competition, which, again, even now, Simon, it continues to bewilder me. And it just goes to show how smaller parts of the world aren't really considered. That even today, you go to established cricketing nations, and even in England or Australia or other parts of the cricketing world, and you, when you still mention to them that we are sovereign territories, our own national flags, our own anthems, in some cases our own currencies, we compete individually and separately in other major sports, and you see the raised eyebrows as if they never knew that was the case. 
Actually, it's it's funny, but those who haven't been to the Caribbean won't know that, as you say, the currency thing. You know that you end up. I think you end up with Trinidadian dollars and um, Barb- U.S. dollars in in many places, and then you've got Eastern Caribbean dollars, haven't you as well? So, how many currencies are there? Is it four? There are about five or six because they're, they're talking about the individual territories. There are Trinidad and Tobago dollars, Bar- Barbados dollars, Guyana dollars, Jamaica dollars, and then you've got EC, which is the Eastern Caribbean currency, which covers all of the Windward and Leeward Islands. Generally, you'd be able to survive on US dollars and pounds sterling as well. You might have a bit of trouble with euro, uh, but uh, th- that's the reality of the Caribbean, and it's, it's always been that way. <laughs> have you got a, a wallet full of different notes from, from, different char- from different islands? Thankfully, now with the magic of the plastic, the credit cards and so on, you don't really need to go through all of that. You just settle your bill when you get back home, which can be pretty substantial given the cost of living, especially if you're a visitor uh, throughout the Caribbean. But uh, indeed, I I still have my collection of old notes from different parts of the Caribbean, and I'm I'm going to keep that for a while. Yeah, I bet you are. Now, just looking at this game, um, credit to the West Indies today for really sticking at it. I mean, hard for bowlers when they haven't been playing on the field for some months and suddenly they've got to play a whole day in the field. It really does get at your bones and your muscles and you do feel incredibly weary. It's just that jamming down of the foot, every ball on that hard surface, which sends shockwaves through your body probably about 120 times in a day's play. And by the end, by God, you do feel it. Uh, but they've stuck at it, and some soft dismissals from England. I noticed uh, Joe Denley uh, dismissed for 29, just chipping a ball to mid-wicket, fairly lazy shot to the offspin of chase. And uh, I read, uh, I, I worked out that 21 of his 28 test innings have been between 0 and 35. So there's definitely a sort of mental issue with, with Joe Denley there, that he can't convert these starts. Only four single-figure scores in his 28 innings, but none really of any subst- substance apart from a 90. So Interesting sort of mental problem for him. Dominic Sibley caught down the leg side for about the fifth time in his test career. Um, definitely some kind of technical issue there with uh, the ball, the, the, his legs sort of shuffling across the crease and seemed to be sort of blocking himself off. So he has to sort of wave at the ball down the leg side a little bit. And actually Josh Butler, I thought, uh, towards the end, also looking a little bit fragile and getting bowled through the gate. So although Stokes stuck it out, and so did Sibley, I mean, there's some, there's some fragility in that England batting order, isn't there? I think there's quite a bit of fragility. While I take your point, Simon, about the soft dismissals, I want to recognize as well that the West Indies get the reward for their persistence. Of course, even as we're speaking to you, uh, the West Indies have just taken another wicket. Shannon Gabriel has gotten the wicket of Dominic Best. So that's a seventh wicket uh, going down, which uh, again will increase the West Indies' chances going into the last day. But what you mentioned about uh, Joss Butler's dismissal, for example, looked pretty leaden-footed. And even though Ben Stokes uh, got of 46. It took him a long time to get off the mark and not for the first time he top edge an attempted pull over the slip cordon. So uh, it's, it's almost a six of one, half a dozen of the other. You can probably look at it as in, in some cases a soft dismissal as in the case of a Joe Denley and I know his place will be uh, under a question mark with Joe Root to return for the remaining matches of this series and whether or not he'll be able to hold on uh, to his place. Uh, so for the West Indies side of things, they'll look at it as just the accumulation of, of, of discipline and persistence and finally getting the batsman to crack by playing a poor shot. So uh, either way, it keeps the West Indies very much in it. Mm. One uh, 
real plus point for England, I thought, today was the batting of Zach Crawley, who I thought looked really composed, uh, had a nice style about him, was positive against the spin, whereas Denley and Sibley got sort of rather becalmed against the spinner and didn't seem to really know how to be able to get off strike and, and rotate and, and just sort of stop getting bogged down, whereas Crawley had a lovely fluid sort of fluency about his batting, uh, nice easy sort of style, working the ball around, hitting it over the top, taking the odd sort of calculated risk and he just looked uh, really composed and and very impressive at the crease and I think you know the chances are that uh, there's going to be a debate or a, a selection issue for the next test. Crawley came in of course for Root, uh, Root's going to be back for the second test, it could be Crawley keeps Denley out I reckon. Uh, so, you know, good signs there for, for England uh, with, with a young player like that starting to find his fluency, starting to increase his scoring every time he bats so that his uh, test scores going up uh, in, in, in good sort of degrees. West Indies potentially chasing around 200 tomorrow. Who do you uh, identify as the key batsman in the lineup? I suppose it's the usual two suspects, Craig Brathwaite and Shea Hope, when, when you look at it in, in that context. And, and it's probably heartening as well for the West Indies to know that in Jason Holder, uh, who didn't get off in the first innings, and uh, the keeper Shane Dorich, uh, who got a few more, and he's had the best record of wicketkeeper batsmen in Test cricket over the last couple of years, that they occupy the number seven and eight. So there, there's a good fighting chance for the West Indies going into that last day. You mentioned uh, Zach Crawley and the way he batted. I think there was a little passage of play uh, early in his innings when he used his feet uh, to go at uh, Roston Chase who had picked up a couple of wickets and he got him just over mid-on. It went away for four and immediately Holder pushed the mid-on back to long-on and with the very next delivery he stroked a single out to long-on. That was an example one of the batsman thinking the game, using the aggression and then the good sense to milk the single and shows the other side of Jason Holder's captaincy where he's often accused of being far too conservative. In that case, you think an attacking captain would still keep the mid on and challenge the batsman again to go over the top. But that's the way, the way Holder leads the team. But in, in, in answering the specific question about whether or not the West Indies have a chance of getting up towards a 200, uh, I think they'll believe they can, but it certainly won't be easy. I, I fancy their chances, actually. I think that uh, Stuart Broad would have made a difference to this England attack. I think it's a, a pitch which you need to, to really nag away at. But maybe on the last day, with a little bit of uneven bounce, the Wood and Archer extra pace might just be to England's advantage. Now, before the, the test series started, we asked you for a prediction, and you went 2-1 to, to England... And we were a bit dismissive and said, well, you know, we can't really see West Indies winning a, a test match here. Probably a couple of games be quite close, but uh, basically we thought 2-0 England. So I think you could be proved right here. Um, you could get your one in this. And how will that be celebrated if it's the case? It's going to be really celebrated. And, and I think we, we can't leave out the Black Lives Matter situation in all of this. And indeed, Michael Holding's very emotive discourse, uh, which many people would have seen. And if they didn't see it live, they would have had it replayed to them and on Sky and on social media and everywhere else. And Ebony Rainford Brent with her perspective as well. It, it does add to it. And in fact, the West Indies mentioned it. Jason Holder, in one of the post-match discourses, talked about how much uh, they were reinforced by what Michael Holding, the great former West 
Pakistanis fast bowler and respected commentator had to say. And, and I think that galvanizes that feeling, Simon. And it's not that we want to play it up too much, but there's a reality to the whole colonial experience and all of that going on, which is why the numbers show that West Indies cricketers still lift their game to play England. England have only won one test series in the Caribbean between 1968 to the present time, even with all of the struggles of the West Indies. There's a reason for that, not just English indifference to foreign conditions, but West Indies determination. And again, as I'm speaking to you, Shannon Gabriel has picked up yet another wicket. So now it's, it's eight wickets going down and the West Indies chances of pulling off a victory are increased. So who knows, rather than be, it being 2-1 for England, <laughs> might be 2-1 for the West Indies. Let me get carried away a little bit, if only for a little while. Go on, listen, I mean, wh where are we going to win a game at the moment? I mean, obviously it can all change tomorrow, but England had the better of the first session and a half, two sessions, but the West Indies have come back really strongly in this last session, and it's been very impressive to see. I just think that that, that uh, Michael Holding speech was... An amazingly powerful piece of TV, uh, which I, I could watch again and again. And, you know, I played with five black players for Middlesex, and I really treasured the time uh, that we had together. And, uh, you know, at the time, there didn't seem to be any issues, but of course, you just don't know what people are feeling. And, and maybe this, this has given a platform for for the black community now to, to show how they're feeling and us to be much more responsive. I think, you know, Simon, it's, it's going to be sad if this just becomes a moment that we look back on to see Michael Holding almost in tears or somebody else getting very emotional and getting worked up by it. Because it, it has to be, and I think Mikey made, made a relevant point, maybe we may not live to see the benefits of it, but we need to get around to a period, whether in 20 years' time, whether in 30 years' time, whenever it is, where these ideas of privilege, whether you call it white privilege, whether you call it colorism, as it is referred to in India. Uh, when Michael referred to the fact that, that his, his mother's parents would not speak to her because she married someone of a darker complexion, even though she was also black, that tells you how powerful this situation is, not just in, in the England or, or countries of predominantly white people, but in our Caribbean experience as well. So this goes way beyond the boundary to, to take from CLR James. It has to be that this is not just about talking about issues associated with cricket. It has to be about British society, global societies, the global balance, the global order, if we really want to be serious about this. And uh, it's fascinating to see how it will unveil. Uh, those listeners of this podcast will know that we are doing a big feature on this uh, issue in the next magazine, the Cricketer magazine, which comes out next week. Uh, so look out for that. You can subscribe to that at www.thecricketer.com forward slash subscribe. And it really is quite a powerful issue, actually, to go with Michael Holding's message. I've actually been down uh, today, just to say, to, to finish here, I've actually been down today to um, Bushy Park in Teddington, where club cricket has started for the first time this summer. And it was just absolutely fantastic to see so many club players all out there playing, slips uh, sort of slightly spread apart, but more than they would be normally. But actually, in, in many other ways, it felt like a, a normal club afternoon. And the lovely thing of all was that everybody was able to watch it. So it was cricket not behind closed doors, which was a really nice thing to see. Have you started playing there yet again? 
No, we haven't. And in fact, we've just got an advisory from our chief medical officer here in Trinidad and Tobago that there should be no organized school sport until September. Uh, in fact, our school, uh, or the, the latter half of our latest academic year has been gone because of COVID-19. School is set to reopen on September the 1st. And uh, that's the latest advisory that we're given. It, it's it's a, a, a really very, very cautious position taken by our authorities, but you have to give them credit. With only 133 cases and eight fatalities, you can see the benefits of that. Well, good luck to everyone uh, playing over this weekend uh, anyway, and hopefully uh, you can get some cricket in Trinidad shortly. The lead for England, a narrow 170-ish at the end of the day's play, so all to play for on the fifth day. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. You can join us again at the end of the day's play uh, when we review it on this podcast. Don't forget that Patreon site I mentioned as well for exclusive content and membership as well. It's www.com patreon.com slash the analyst one and we'd really appreciate your donations to that to get involved in the exclusive club and exclusive content Faz, many thanks for your time and I should be impartial about this but good luck to the West Indies uh, in this test match because they've uh, nobly come and resuscitated our season and they deserve something for it I would love to be proven that the 2-1 is, either, is actually 2-1 West Indies and not 2-1 England Thanks for your time and thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.